Welcome to Casual VCH, a podcast about Bitcoin Cash and Smart VCH, where sometimes we go off the rails and talk about everything crypto. I go by the handle Sayoshi Nakamario and trade the website helpme.cash. And I'm the better gamer in the relationship. Oh, you did. <laughs> Today, we're going to answer some questions from a beginner that wants to get into cryptocurrency for the first time. So an old friend sent us some questions. Age is not relevant to this. <laughs> so I previously said that there were some IT people that I tried to get into crypto, and they just considered it a scam. Uh, by coincidence, the day after releasing that podcast, uh, one of my buddies contacted me and wants to know more. So he sent us a list of questions. Uh, he is not familiar with crypto, but he is technical. Mm-hmm. So we are going to answer these questions that he sent. So what's the first one? First one is blockchain. What is it? How does it work? And what exactly makes it unique and valuable? Will it be broken in the near future? So there's this great podcast that went into it a day or two ago. (laughs) (laughs) So let's do it again. Okay. So let's break that one down. So what is the blockchain? A network of truth. (laughs) So the blockchain is a ledger. Okay. So if you think of a bank, a bank has a bunch of accounts in it, and those accounts have money in them. It's just a computer database. It just keeps track of that. That's all it does. When you take money out of your account, it takes it off of your account in the ledger. That's it. But there's always a permanent record. It's a permanent record that's stored in the bank. Mm -hmm. If the bank messes up really bad and doesn't do their backups properly, it's all gone. They have to maintain their backups of the database. They're the ones that control the database. Okay. So you're trusting them to keep tabs on your money and to ensure that it's correct. The blockchain is that, but it's maintained by all of the miners uh, around the planet. So you're not relying on one single person to back it up, to make sure it's there. You're, there's many, many, many copies of it, all active at all times. Is that what makes it unique? Uh, the technology behind the blockchain uh, would make parts of it unique. Um, so the fact that if you buy a coin, it's your coin, and nobody mm-hmm. else has that coin. So that that's uniquely your coin. And all of the miners around the world are insuring that. So basically, they're working for you to make sure that when you have a coin, nobody else has that coin. Kind okay. of like what the bank does with their the fact that you put money in, they maintain that you have the money. So it's almost it's like a bank in a different form, if you think of it that way. Okay. So why is that valuable compared to just another bank? Uh, it goes back down to the fact that no single person or entity controls it. So, so you're not relying on Wells Fargo or TD Bank or HSBC to maintain your account. If you have a bank account with one of them, they can lock you out and take all your money. Mm-hmm. Technically, like they, they control it. If the government turns around and says that all left-handed people aren't allowed to have a bank account anymore, <laughs> yeah. they can technically do that. Like They have that power. So with crypto, they don't have that power. That's true and not true, because with crypto, if you don't specifically take your coins and put them into your own personal wallet, they do have that power still. That's true. Which is why it's so important to be your own banker and control your own money. Yes. But if you leave it on an exchange, you're treating crypto just the same as you would have been. Mm-hmm. So as you get down into it, there's it's, it's like an onion. There's multiple layers to this. Mm-hmm. If you consider it like your current cash money, if you have like physical cash or coins, that's technically the same as what's in your bank account. Mm -hmm. But 
but it's not. But it's not. Yeah, that's, there's a difference. It's a digital version where the bank account is saying, you gave them this amount of money. You have this. It's a value. They put in a spreadsheet and say, here you go. You own this much. Yes. So it's the same thing, but there's nuance to it. There's, there's a, there is a difference. Mm-hmm. So you can have your money in the bank or you can have it in cash. If it's in the bank, technically they can freeze it, do whatever. They can't do that with cash, mm-hmm. even though it's the same thing. So it's kind of like how you were saying, if you have your money, your crypto, your coins in an exchange, which is kind of like a bank, they can freeze it. They can do that. So that all that's the same. Yeah. But if you take your coins out of the exchange and you maintain it in your own wallets. Just like you would if you had cash under your mattress. Exactly. It's, it's under your control. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a bit of a little bit of an everything summary. Yeah. And if you want to go more in depth into the blockchain, check the previous podcast episodes. <laughs> Um, so will it be broken in the near future? So we also touched on that a little bit already Mm -hmm. uh, in the past one. Chances are probably not anytime soon. Yeah, it it would take, I mean, we especially talked about that, taking a lot of money and a lot of, for somebody to even do attacking and stuff. Yeah. It would be a big. Yeah. So there's different, again, there's different avenues you can approach this question. So in the terms of can you attack the network and break it so that you can steal people's coins or double spending or things like that. That's kind of the whole game theory of the network and the technical side of why it works. Mm-hmm. Sum that one up. It's why spend the money trying to attack it when you can make more money. Yeah. So when you, yeah, when you break down the game theory of it, it's more efficient for the people trying to attack it to just join it because mm-hmm. it's the incentive structure behind the networks is actually it works mm-hmm. it's it's sound so people should join it rather than attack it so that kind of sums up a little bit of that but you got to really dig into that to, to which we went over for quite a while yeah we went over it in the other one so the other side of that is will it technically be broken mm-hmm. which is kind of the whole SHA-256 which is the uh, hashing algorithm if that gets broken in theory uh, the, the way the miners secure your coins so people can't take them and steal them is broken so they could, in theory, take all your coins then. Yes. If SHA-256 is broken. Uh, and that, again, you could just upgrade the SHA-256 algorithm, and so that wouldn't be a problem anymore. But so, also, not all coins use. Yeah, the, so there's different algorithms is what it comes down to. And if one gets broken, you can just migrate to another. Yeah. The problem with SHA-256 being broken as well, which we didn't touch on, is that a lot of stuff uses that already. In day-to-day. In day-to-day yes. stuff. So like web banking if you think encryption in general like a bunch of them are tied to it if SHA-256 is broken yes crypto is going to be a casualty of that but there's a ton of other stuff that is also going to break because of that and the governments would really ruin themselves by trying to break that well they're always trying to break it they always always want to improve it Mm -hmm. so like this flows into like military stuff top secret things like it's there's more at play than just crypto yeah so if it was going to get broken, it probably wouldn't stay broken for very long. People would know it was broken at some point because bad stuff would start happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it did get broken, in theory, um, it could cause havoc on the network. But once people realize that, again, they would probably migrate to a different algorithm that isn't broken. And it would just snapshot the network. Mm-hmm. So if all of a sudden everybody's coins started getting stolen, there would be downtime. The network would be chaotic. Uh, people would probably stop using it for a bit. But once it got updated to the new algorithm, it would go back like probably a day, a week or something for coin balances Mm -hmm. and just go back in time. And that's where they would restart the network. Mm -hmm. 
And that would be an agreed upon. Miners would have to all basically agree to rework the network, which we kind of went over in the last one. Yeah. So that that would be very chaotic and everything that goes along with that. But it's, will it technically be broken? Probably not in the near term Mm -hmm. or midterm. Quantum computing is probably what you want to look at for that. Yes. And it's something that a lot of other things would be entwined in. Yeah. So I think that's good. Okay. (laughs) Um, So let's go into wallets because we talked about how you need to store your money on your wallet so it is yours. Mm -hmm. So the question is, I understand this as a digital holding of said coins tokens. Is it encrypted? So it would be the SHA-256 encryption. Mm-hmm. Um, you maintain your keys, your password, uh, you maintain your coins. Okay, so what are your keys and passwords? Uh, the keys and passwords are, it's the password that controls whether you can do anything with those coins. So when you create a wallet, it creates coins, for, or it creates a, a seed phrase for you, mm-hmm. which is uh, 12, 24 words, it depends. Yeah. Um, essentially, they just represent a, a private key, and a private key is just a password. It's just a bunch of random numbers and letters. And you connect that to a wallet. It's That's part of the wallet, yeah. Okay. It's like opening up a bank account at a bank. You have to make a password to log into your web banking, say. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of what that is. Okay. If somebody has that password, they have con- complete control of your wallet. Right. Unless you have other, yeah. <laughs> There's other stuff you can add on top of that, but that's the general gist. Are wallets universally transferable between trading platforms? Again, there's nuance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In general, yes. However, if you're talking about centralized exchanges, so like the banks of crypto, uh, some of them would be like Binance.com, mm-hmm. uh, Coinbase.com. So these are places that you open up an account. Usually they ask for your identification because yep. they have to follow all the KYC laws. They generally create accounts for you or the wallets for you. You don't import a wallet into them. Okay. But for other wallets, especially ones that you control, like on your phone or on your computer, you can transfer a wallet from one to another quite easily, usually. Okay. So I'm going to verbal vomit and then you can correct it. Okay. Okay. So we were explaining the wallet to someone else, how you have your seed words and that's your bank account. And then... You can put those seed words into your phone. You can put it onto a piece of paper that has a QR code so you can access it. Um, You can put it into your computer and there's apps that have these wallets that can use these seed words. And there's different versions of wallets, just kind of like there is different version of bank accounts. So some coins will use different ones, some platforms, things like that. But generally, you'll have your wallet, your coins will be there, and as long as you have your seed words, you can access your bank account. You can get a new bank card all the time if one gets lost or broken or whatever, but as long as your seed words are secure, hidden, and nobody knows them except you, you can always get your funds back. No matter if you put it back into your phone, you know, three years later, whatever. Um, So your seeds are your bank account, and then your bank cards are these wallet apps you use. Are they open source? Some of them. Some, of them. some are, some aren't. Uh, generally, crypto people pr- much prefer open source. Mm-hmm. The centralized exchanges generally are closed source because they're running a for-profit business. Yeah. Some of them do have open source trading engines and things like that. A lot of the wallets are open source. Again, some are closed source. Mm-hmm. It, it all depends on which one you're talking about. 
a lot of the code behind the crypto itself is open. Like crypto itself is open source generally. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin code, uh, Bitcoin cash code. That's why there's so many forks of coins. It's because people can just look at it, take it, remake it. Yeah. You can, just change the name, a couple little things. Yeah, a couple little edits in the code. You can relaunch it, and all of a sudden you got a new coin, new blockchain. Will it be valuable, or people care about it, or... Which we go into later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you need the users to use it as well to yeah. make it valuable. That's what it boils down to. So, um, I would also say for wallets, don't think of exchanges as a wallet necessarily. Think of more of that as an account. It's your bank, a bank account, a user account. Um, just like you would make on Facebook or on Reddit or whatever. It's an account. You put money into it. You fund it. They hold it. They control it 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas a wallet is, it's your something. It's your cash under your bed. So you always want to bring your money to your wallet and not leave it on an exchange. Just because some people do call, oh, it's in my wallet, but it's on an exchange. It's like, well, that's not really your wallet because you don't control it. Yeah, I'd agree. But there is, again, nuance. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's going to be the... The key word, word of the of this, day. The word of the day on this. Some people don't want to control their coins. Yes. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want to be responsible for keeping this password, making sure they have it secret but accessible. Some people shouldn't either. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about people that have maybe memory problems that are older, yeah, they might forget that stuff. So they want somebody to help them with it. Even going into the future, I think some centralized exchanges. And some centralized exchanges that put in technology that we won't go into, but it allows them to like help you control your coins, but mm-hmm. not actually control them. Those will exist and are options as well. Well, even today, there are banks that are looking at you can invest into crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just going to get more and more as time goes on, most likely. So there are going to be options for those other people who shouldn't necessarily control or don't want to control their money. Yeah. And there will always be risks that come with that. But as time goes on, rules and regulations get put in. Hopefully, those people will be safe. Hopefully. (laughs) So custodial options, they exist. Yeah. Yeah. So coins and tokens. Okay. I hear coins and tokens. What's the difference? Not much. Yeah, that's it. They're they're kind of the same thing with nuance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we'll take something like Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum is the number two cryptocurrency. Uh, in terms of market cap, which you can argue is important or not. Yeah. So Ethereum has the Ethereum coin, the mm-hmm. Ethereum token that's on its network. That's its native token. But Ethereum is a cryptocurrency that is, uh, like we mentioned before, it's like a toolbox, a utility box. It allows you to create tokens on it as well that aren't Ethereum. Mm-hmm. So a lot of companies do this and games do this where they create their own token on Ethereum and they can move it back and forth and they have control of it. But it's secured by the ethereum blockchain because that's what the token is running on mm-hmm. i mean a lot of people use them both to describe the same thing as well yeah it is kind of there's not like a really super clear definition between the two yeah that one's not really a it's a crypto yeah yeah i would say coin token is just it's as far as i understand it there's not a clear definition so when you're talking about one there probably is but <laughs> A clear definition that is. So yeah, when you're talking about one, you need to you need to look into the token you're specifically talking about. Mm-hmm. If you find some random one, it's like especially if you go into the CoinMarketCap.com website or like CoinGecko.com, mm-hmm. they might list a token, and if you go into the details on it, it might say uh, it's got an ETH address or a BSC address, and those are saying that the token is either running on Ethereum or it's running on Binance Smart Chain. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the two 
biggest uh, platforms for other tokens on them. Yeah. So why is Bitcoin at the top and Ethereum lower? Just wait. It'll flip one day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Supply and demand. Kind of. Like, that's what it boils down to is... Yeah, because so there's Bitcoin's cap. It, it, right now, I think it's kind of at, there's still not a lot of money overall in crypto. So Bitcoin holds that number one value because people are told it's number one. So you should invest into it and it'll always go up. But there's no real reason for it. Whereas Ethereum has a reason for people to buy into Ethereum and move to other tokens and use that blockchain. True. I, I would still kind of argue it's still supply and demand though. So Bitcoin has the the network effect behind it of it was the first uh more people know about it more people have got into it like when people learn about crypto generally it's not oh this cryptocurrency thing is awesome they generally talk about crypto it's bitcoin it's bitcoin usually yeah because yeah, it was number one it's the highest value right now so that's what people gravitate towards including the people that don't understand it at mm-hmm. an economic or technical level and but they still want to get into it so they just get into it which is likely part of the reason that the money flows into Bitcoin still, yeah. BTC. I mean, it's also been a decade of Bitcoin being number one. So if you're looking to invest in crypto, that seems like a very safe option. It's always been number one. It's been, you know, a decade of being number one. Of course, it's going to stay being number one. Yeah. So that that's kind of flows into what our earlier episode went into mm-hmm. uh, about knowing what you're getting into. Just because it's number one now doesn't mean it's going to stay number one forever. Just because Ethereum is, uh, so kind of to go back to the question, Ethereum came out after Bitcoin did. Mm -hmm. Ethereum isn't trying to be a money or store of value like Bitcoin. It was more of an interesting code project to run like distributed database around the world with these miners enforcing smart contracts and all the utility that that enables. So it's like a cool little geeky nerd project essentially <laughs> they wanted to build it on bitcoin yes so history wise they wanted to build on bitcoin they couldn't mm-hmm. not really relevant though no but that that's just going to show that ethereum it could have been built on bitcoin and it could have been a great project as one but just because they're two different coins doesn't mean that bitcoin doesn't have the potential to also be an ethereum like project in terms of Bitcoin Cash. In terms of Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> Just to try and wedge that in there. I mean, it is a BCH podcast. That's true. <laughs> um, so do they have the same principles, Bitcoin and Ethereum? No. When you look into coins, it's why do they exist? What's their use case? Uh, what's the user base behind it? What's their ethos? Uh, so BTC, just to give a quick rundown, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, refer to the previous podcast. Uh, BTC is about putting your money in and speculating that's going to go up in value so they can sell it for more. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all it is. It's a savings account. It's, yeah, it's kind of trying to be a savings, savings account. account but... It's trying to be more than that with an extremely complicated code solution that is not going to work in the long term, in my humble opinion. And there's better options out there. Mm-hmm. And then Ethereum. Ethereum is a smart contract platform that allows new use cases for things that haven't existed before. So Everything from smart contracts for decentralized finance, farming, staking. Data storage. Data storage, uh, NFTs. Uh, there, there's so a, many potential projects to be built on yeah. Ethereum. So that kind of sums up Ethereum yeah. really quick. Going to the next question. Uh, it seems like any dipshit with an internet connection can create a crypto these days. 
what makes crypto valuable, and how do you base your opinion of worth slash trust on any in particular? So any dipshit can create their own crypto today. Completely. <laughs> it is very easy. Literally nope. just put in what do you want it to be called and hit create. Pretty much. No yeah. coding required at all. And you could copy the crypto and make a new Ethereum because it is open source. Yes. And so you can make your own blockchain and stuff. And will it last? Well, that kind of depends on can you make it last? Can you build on it and get people to come use it? That's kind of the, the thing is you need people to actually use it and want it. Mm -hmm. So you can make whatever you want. Uh, any token or chain, but it's kind of, it's worthless unless people use it. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin was worthless when it started mm -hmm. and it was worthless for a while. Uh, it wasn't until the first pizza transaction yeah. <laughs> where they spent, I think it was like 10,000 Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, somebody in the UK bought it for somebody in the States. Uh, they bought the pizza and they gave them 10,000 Bitcoins in mm -hmm. exchange. So, yeah. so value, what makes it valuable? What makes anything valuable? Somebody okay. has to want to use it. Yes. So it, it comes down to the use case. And so when you're looking at cryptos, tokens, whatever, you, it's what you're, part of what your research should be is what is it useful for? Mm -hmm. And so it could be nothing. It could be nothing. It could just be a meme token. Yeah. Yeah. Those Tons of those exist. Look at Dogecoin. It's got yeah. fucking billions of money behind it, exactly. behind it now. So just because it's not valuable to one person doesn't make it not valuable to another person. Yes. In a terms of sense, though, it's where do people want to put money? So... Nowadays, there's so many cryptos that you kind of do have to target more. You can throw money away at these random little projects that mean nothing and hope they moonshot and you get rich off it. Um, Which is no different than trying to buy a bunch of penny stocks on the stock market with zero research into the pro into the companies. Yeah, but if you're otherwise looking at where can I put my money that is has a potential to grow because the company itself has a potential to grow. And that's where it would be like, well, why would you invest into something like Tesla or Ford or all these car makers? Well, because they're giving you a product. So you're buying into the company expecting a product. Correct. So that would give it value is what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. yeah it depends on what they're doing with it. Yeah. Uh, so Bitcoin was supposed to be peer-to-peer -peer money for the world. Mm -hmm. So not supposed a, to. Supposed to. Uh, so BTC isn't really flowing that way anymore, mm -hmm. whereas Bitcoin Cash is. Uh, there are also other cryptocurrencies that are trying to do the same thing. So that's what their value proposition is is that they're going to be money and it's going to be better than your fiat money. Mm -hmm. And that's going to, again, previous podcast, kind of flows into the pyramid scheme. You need other people to use it so that it goes up, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if their use case does happen and they become peer-to-peer -peer cash for the world, everybody's going to use it. Therefore, the value of it is going to go up. Mm -hmm. But there are stable coins that are pegged to like the US dollar and their value is that, well, they're never going to change. So your money should be safe. It's Yes. A set value you put in, it should stay there. There are more valuable stable coins like FlexUSD that pay you a high interest rate back compared to something like Tether. Yes. So that's the other thing is, uh, so if you take something like FlexUSD or USDC or even Tether in theory, but I think FlexUSD is probably the best current, best current uh, or passive income mm -hmm. increase. If you put your money in a bank account, you're going to get a tiny amount of interest on it. Mm -hmm. If you put money into something like FlexUSD, you're going to get 10 to 20% interest on it. And that's because they're using that in a way that they can generate that return because of traders using the initial capital. Mm -hmm. Stuff that can never happen in the original uh, banking yeah. industry. Yeah. So there's new use cases opening up that are providing people new ways to make money, okay. new ways to trade, new ways to uh, use their assets 
mm-hmm. or invest them or uh, so if you're looking at stable coin sides yes there's that as well you can have a stable form of money that's pegged to fiat currencies but because they're in crypto they it opens up this new world to those yeah and it doesn't cost you money to hold that wallet account to hold those funds either but you get paid and rewarded for holding them mm-hmm. for certain ones whereas with your bank account you're paying your x amount of dollars a month in a year to own that bank account to hold your money there mm-hmm. uh, to throw another random example out for why they could be useful would be the ultra coin mm-hmm. that we talked about in a previous episode where essentially their value proposition is they want to kill steam and they, some people the gaming service steam, steam is but yeah it's a hosting platform where people can buy games. Yeah. So on the uh, computer-based uh, gaming library, uh, kind of like Apple I- or the App Store and Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. It's where developers host, post up their games. Uh, Steam gets a 30% cut of the sales. Uh, Ultra wants to go after that, lower the cut that they get, but also introduce crypto into it so that the games are NFTs, which are unique objects, you mm-hmm. could say. But because they're NFTs, the people that buy the games can sell them again to other people. Mm-hmm. Which is a huge value in itself. Yeah, so from a gamer point of view, you can resell your games and get some of the money back for games you don't play anymore. We used to have that with physical games, mm-hmm. but that kind of disappeared with digital. Because why do you want to have a billion seeds sitting in your house? CDs, sorry, not seeds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the publishers and stuff don't want that because they didn't make money because they couldn't access the secondary market. Yeah. With Ultra, they can because when somebody sells that NFT to somebody else, the company or the dev that created the game will automatically get a cut of that secondary sale. No extra work required. Yeah. It just shows up in their account. And to take it up a notch, you could do the same thing with cars and houses. You would have that your house would be an NFT, so you would use it to sell and to sell instead of some random piece of paper that says yes, you own it in the government's database of a bunch of stuff that half the stuff gets lost and burnt. And the difference would be the NFT would be on the blockchain, so anybody would be able to find it. It would always be there. It's permanent, and you could transfer it, and you no longer own it. You can't say you own it because you sent it away. Correct. So NFTs have a huge value case long term. Um, And of course, there's going to be the hundreds and thousands of artworks that aren't valuable, but somebody bought it and decided it had a value. So a very simple case for cryptos, especially peer-to-peer currency, is if you have your dollars or whatever and you use it to buy things today, crypto doesn't add anything to that that you can tell. However, the banking industry adds percentages into all of the transactions people pay at stores. Mm-hmm. which the store covers. So customers are paying for that indirectly. Typically, it's something like 1.75% all the way up to like almost 3%. Mm-hmm. So that's what Visa, MasterCard charges, which we're flowing towards. Like cash is disappearing. Nobody, yeah. no, I don't think anybody can argue that cash is going to stick around, uh, even in places like Japan and stuff that are very cash heavy. I think it's flowing away from cash. So how do you base your opinion and worth or trust on it? Is that just purely doing your own research and deciding what is value to you? Like, how can you trust it's going to have value? Comes down to the use case. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, to sum up value is do your own research on every single coin that you want to put money in every project. It's, is there a reason why you'd want to buy it? Same thing with our current stock marks and stuff like that. Or when you go into the mall and you see shopping stores, why does something have value? Do you want to put your money to it? Yes or no? Yes, and that's and because crypto is still relatively early, there's new companies popping up all the time with new use cases, and a lot of them go under, but some of them stick around because they actually 
add value. And there are 100% there are scams around every corner promising oh, yeah. you Everywhere. diamonds galore and they're going to give you XYZ and it's just... To the moon. Yeah, and it <laughs> comes with the territory and the yeah. risk. So on to the next question. Exchanging. Okay. How do we convert earned dollars to coins, to growth, to other coins, back to dollars in my bank account? What about fees and taxes? Is it truly liquid? Are there any pitfalls or noob traps? A ton. <laughs> <laughs> ton of what? <laughs> ton of all of that. <laughs> um, so, so getting money in. Yeah. So a lot of it depends on your country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of ATMs, uh, random countries everywhere around mm-hmm. the world. So if you find a Bitcoin ATM or uh, the, the thing with crypto is once you're in crypto. It's easy. It's easy. It doesn't matter what crypto you, crypto you have in general. As long as it's like not some random no-name coin that nobody has. Yeah. Um, once you're in crypto, you can convert them to another one very easily, uh, especially with decentralized exchanges. So Binance and Coinbase, as I mentioned, are centralized exchanges ran by a company. Mm-hmm. There's people behind those. Decentralized exchanges are ones that run and live on the blockchain. They have devs behind them that are like maintaining them, but they are actually smart contracts. Mm-hmm. So they are code they are code they are letting people trade between each other without any human involved mm-hmm. so once you're in crypto you can use those there's nobody that's going to stop you from using them there's nobody that can stop you from using them uh, the problem is getting your fiat into crypto and also getting your crypto out into fiats yeah that's where the roadblocks are so a lot of that will come down to what country are you in um, do they have exchanges available what are your rules and regulations based off that um, the majority of it will be if you can't find an ATM or somebody in, you know, an actual other person to sell you crypto, you're going to be most likely KYCing, signing up with one of these exchanges, connecting your bank account and sending money to it. And then from then you are going to buy what crypto you want. Mm-hmm. So that's in at least the North America and Europe style places, very typical of how you buy stock. Mm-hmm. You connect to a company that has these connections into all these things, make an account, KYC with them, and then you can send money in and do whatever. And then, yeah, you can buy the coins, and then once you want to bring it back, you're basically going to take that coin that you have, and you're going to send it to the exchange or for other coins, whatever the exchange coin accepts, and you're going to send it back to your account. So taxes and stuff entirely depends on the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of countries do have taxes on it. some classify crypto as property. So there's like capital gains taxes that apply depending on the country. Some specify it as a currency. Um, so different laws apply. Uh, some countries specify it as multiple things. Like I know the US is really bad for that, mm. but they got like five different regulatory agencies or something and like three of them classify it totally separately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends on your country, depends on your laws. Uh, I think Germany, for an example, classifies it as currency. Could be wrong. Um, and there's no taxes on it if you hold it for over a year mm. or something like that. So, and like Spain, I think, is one of the ones that are good for cryptocurrency taking out tax-wise. Mm-hmm. So it all depends. Yeah, It might add to your income. It might require taxing. That's on you to look up what laws mm-hmm. of your country are. Uh, is it truly liquid, cryptocurrency? Uh, if you want to trade it when you're in crypto, you can trade it. Yeah. If you want to get into fiat, you should be able to get into fiat. It's just how you do it. So I would say, yes, it's, it is very liquid. And it, de- it depends on how much you're trading. If you want to trade $50 billion, it's, you're, you're going to take not, some hoops. And... Yeah, you're not going to be able to trade 
in certain places for that access lot. <laughs> I mean, there's certain points where you could do that and you are just going to be losing a lot of value. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so noob traps. Everywhere, around every corner, if you don't know what you're doing, look it up. Read before you do it. Make sure what you're sending it to is, you know, you know where it's going. If you're sending it to your wallet, make sure it's your wallet. If you're sending it to an exchange, check the address you're sending it to. And if you're going to try something new, start with a small amount. Make sure it works. Make sure you sent it right. And then once you get a hang of it, you know what you're doing, you trust what you're doing, that's when you can start doing your actual value that you want to send through. Mm-hmm. Again, I would probably say nuance on this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start hitting you every time you say that word. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of noob traps. It's, it's a technical area. There's a lot to it, mm-hmm. especially when you... So just to take an example... Um, if you bought crypto, if you bought Bitcoin back in like 2016 and you just held it, you didn't touch it, you just forgot about it until today, you would still have your Bitcoin, you'd be able to send it places. Since 2016 and today, Bitcoin has forked mm-hmm. multiple times, which we haven't talked about a lot. So forking is a case when the crypto actually, the ledger that the miners are maintaining ends up splitting. And so some miners follow one path and some miners follow another path. So if you think like a bank has your ledger of bank accounts, it's almost like the bank uh, splits into two companies mm-hmm. and they each have a copy of the ledger. But So you have two bank accounts. So you have two bank accounts. With the same amount of value in with, each of them. With the same amount of, in this case, coins. Yes. One coin might be worth less than what the other coin is worth. But if you go to bank B and spend your coins, but you didn't on bank A, you still have those bank A coins. Sort of. No, you, you, you do, but if you spent your coins and you didn't split them, which is where the technicals yes, come in. Yes, so this in. is the noob trap. Yes. <laughs> so this is this is just an example of a very technical piece that you don't need to know generally. Um, but there are situations where you might want to do a little more research into a coin. If In a case like that, you've left them for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Has there been any splits, any forks? Because you may have more money sitting there. You may have more money sitting there you don't know about. Or you might do a transaction moving those coins and unintentionally move the other ones as well Mm -hmm. without knowing it. And again, very technical. It depends on a lot of things. But there are a lot of walkthroughs on how to split them. Yes, there's a lot of walkthroughs. This is just one of those little things that noobs, newbies will not know technically. So there is lots of little things like that. In a more general sense, I would say when you're talking about crypto, never give your seed seed words to people, Mm -hmm. which is your passwords, your for unlocking your coins. Those big, long keywords that they give you when you make a new wallet. Yeah. If somebody asks for them, it's a scam. Mm-hmm. If a company asks for them that you have an account with, it's a scam. Never give them out, period. Like, that's probably the number one newbie gotcha. But if you want to give them to somebody, DM me. <laughs> um, okay. Next question. Okay. You good on that one? Sure. All right. Farming versus mining. I think I get this. As mining is a HW-based grind. Hardware. Where farming is more of a pool bet. So mining is a, it's mm-hmm. a hardware thing, generally. Depending on which token yeah. you're in, yeah. So this kind of comes down to proof of work versus proof of stake. Mm-hmm. So proof of work, yes, it's hardware-based. Uh, you set it up, whether it's ASICs for Bitcoin, which we went into past episode, mm-hmm. or you do video cards, which is like what ETH is currently in. Mm-hmm. So it depends on what coin you're talking about. But yes, for proof of work coin, you're mining. 
you need you the are, armor for it. Yeah, yes. you're you're helping the network find the blocks and you get rewarded for doing it. Perfect. So that's what the mining part is. There's also proof of stake, mm -hmm. which is different. And this is what Ethereum is moving towards yeah. as well. And there are other tokens that currently do it. Yes. Uh, so that's where you actually have your coins and you uh, stake them so that you are doing the same thing. You are helping the network find new blocks with transactions, but you're using your coins to do it. And it's much less hardware intensive task to do. So you don't need the dedicated hardware miners. Mm -hmm. It's more of just a software solution rather than a hardware solution. Okay, so farming is not a bet. It's more of a uh, the decentralized exchange part that we went over. Mm -hmm. So that's taking two coins, putting them together, and allowing people to swap between them. Yeah, so you're, you're being the guy on the street, and somebody <laughs> comes up and says, hey, I want And you're, the you're opening bar. up your jacket and be like, you want some of this? Yeah, and they're <laughs> like, I want that, and I'll give you this. And you're like, okay, I'll take that because I accept this. Yeah. And it's back and forth. You're charging a small fee for them to do that. Yeah. So you're being You a... take a bite of the chocolate bar every single time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how your liquidity providers get nice and fat. <laughs> uh, so yeah, essentially farming is providing a financial service by allowing people to swap between coins that you're providing. Okay, so, but there is, to go into that a little bit more, there is a difference because there's farming and there's liquidity providing. So you, you describe more liquidity providing. You provide liquidity, they can trade between. But then there's farming where you can take that liquidity and put it into one of these decentralized exchanges and farm with it where the decentralized exchange, the DEX, allows you, they give these farms, you put them in, and they reward you in the DEX's token, um, which generally has more farming or other use cases to give it value itself. But you can provide liquidity for any of these two random tokens and people can swap between but then if you go to this exchange, there's APR-based. That's really where the rewarding part of liquidity providing comes in. Mm -hmm. And even that, as an example, is like, it goes deeper than that. Mm -hmm. like this is just a very surface level. So you could look into something like ThorChain, that it's an entire company and protocol that's designed around liquidity providing uh, between two tokens, but it's doing it between different blockchains. Mm -hmm. And you can also do it so that you don't need to provide two tokens. You can only provide one. Yeah. And it just behind the scenes will migrate it and do its thing that it needs to do to make that work. So yeah. there's a lot of depth that that alone can go into as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there is a diff. It's a different way of making money back, making returns. So on your hardware mining part, you're spending the money up front and your equipment is slowly working to get rewarded. Whereas with farming, you're providing that dollar value up front. Yes. And you're slowly getting rewarded. Yes. And this right now with the whole decentralized finance craze that's been happen happening the last like three years or whatever it is, mm -hmm. that's one thing crypto has enabled. Is that it's allowed anybody with an account, a phone, a dice to make a wallet. Because um, you can technically just roll a dice a bunch of times and have your crypto wallet created. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows you to put money into them and have it work for you. So you don't have to be some gigantic hedge fund manager or some bank guy to get this going. You just need a little bit of capital money mm -hmm. and then throw it into this stuff and you can have your money start earning for you. Yeah. And to put it this in perspective a little bit more, there are people in countries where $2 is a ton of money. That's you know, their day of work. Even less than that, that's it. What they need to live off of. Yeah. And they're taking what they can, putting in these and slowly earning. Yes. Uh, it, we see it, actually. Like, we see people talking about this in the groups we're in. Yeah. 
where it's like they're farming in these decentralized exchanges and they're asking questions and they're, they're wanting to know about the environment and what's happening, what, what updates are coming to the decks, like what are the devs doing? Because they want to make sure that they earn their dollar fifty a day mm-hmm. in tokens that they're earning because they're in the farm. Yeah. Because that's what they're using to buy food. Yeah. Because so. and there are other countries where you can use crypto as a day-to-day to buy and exchange things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's also they want to make sure their money's safe. So they're asking questions. They're part of the community. And there's going to be fees and stuff. So, you know, you do have to play the game of how quickly do I take things out versus let it sit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And just to jump in again about what's the, one of the values of this stuff or what provides a value. Uh, it reminds me of a tweet I saw recently of uh, there's a smart BCH token called Joy. And it's a little token that this uh, small group of devs made for this website uh, where you can play Bitcoin Cash games. So it's like just little games on this website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have to pay Bitcoin Cash or Smart BCH now uh, as well to play the games. And it's just like little like ball breaker games, like the old, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's something like that. And like centipede style, just mm-hmm. little, little web games. Uh, but you get rewarded in these joy tokens. And I think it's like 25 cents US to play a game. So you provide that, you play the game, you get rewarded in joy tokens. Uh, people are talking about how if you play them well, you get rewarded. And then you can bring them to Smart BCH and then sell them. So you put twenty five cents in, and you can get right now around a dollar fifteen out. Mm-hmm. So you're actually being rewarded to play the game. Mm-hmm. That's just like one very simple use case, and there's many more out there where you can actually earn money playing games. Yeah, which is valuable to people who have time. Yep, especially in the places that are much poorer. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a lot of people are doing that these days. And that it's so many people think like in, you know, America's North America, you know, Europe places where people go to work, they make thousand dollars plus a month. No big deal. So they're like, oh, I only make a dollar a day. Well, what's the point of that? And it's like, well, not everything's about you. There's a whole world that's using crypto now. A dollar a day is a lot, which is why Bitcoin sucks. That's <laughs> 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 what I was going to say, but... Kind of a... Because fees. Because fees. <laughs> All right. Um, so that sums up, in a long way, farming versus mining. Mm-hmm. Active versus passive. I think I know the answer, but I'm curious about your opinions on activity. I imagine I could full-time day trade, but are there enough stable options for long-term passive growth? How can you tell the difference between volatility versus stability? So day trading is a whole other side of crypto and that's where most people get burned. And unless you have a lot of time to sit there and watch and play the game and that's something you passionately wanna do or even not passionately, but you wanna take that risk, go for it. But why do that when you can stick to, take a stable coin with an unstable coin or even two stable coins and just passively make money, which is less risky and chances are you're gonna be better off. I agree. (laughs) If you want to, so yes, you can do the day trade stuff. If you do, if you want to do that, then you're doing it on, you're, you're a stock market trader, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is a question to you, the listener. If you want to do day trading on crypto, that means you're already in the stock market. Yeah. Like you, you should be right. Like that's what you want to do. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Why are you doing it to crypto and not that? Yeah. Like it's, it's the exact same thing. And it's way more volatile in crypto than it is on the stock market. Mm-hmm. So in theory, if you've if you're not doing it on the stock market because it's slow and you know you can play the game of like oh I can invest into pot coin stocks 
pot stocks and on 420 I know it's gonna pump so that's when I'm gonna sell it but that's what everybody else is thinking so you're playing the long game and with crypto you're like well oh something's coming up so I'm gonna buy the news sell the release game all that stuff which people do in crypto you can play that game absolutely and people make money absolutely but at the same time how do you know you're not buying at the high and selling at the low yeah so I think my my point is if you're getting into crypto and you're not already trading on the stock market actively then don't trade on crypto actively yeah look into the projects see what their value is make investments don't try to just make quick gains because it could work out but especially if you're new to the space chances are you are gonna get burned yeah and if you want to do it pick a safe option first do something like the farming find a good more secure as secure as crypto can get a place to farm and then take those rewards and play around with that if that's something you want to try do it with the reward money not the money that you're afraid to lose yes and if you're going to do farming and things like that look up impermanent loss yes we're not going to go into it right now but essentially the money you put in you might not get all of it back out which is what the rewards are for hopefully yep (laughs) videos there are so many videos on that so crypto in terms of volatility and stability it's very volatile in general and that's again crypto in general crypto is small Mm -hmm. the amount of money in it so even if you had a product that is very safe and stable it could be very volatile still just because there's not many people into it yeah and as people get into it obviously demand goes up yeah and there could be projects that are super popular right now that end up falling off the face of the earth because a better something comes out Mm -hmm. or the project self implodes because they're centralized and the developers decide they want to take all the money and go to Mexico. Or the developers die and nobody keeps building on it. There's so many reasons for projects to fail. Yes. So it's inherently volatile, uh, especially because there's startups happening all over Mm -hmm. the place. So a general rule of thumb it's not perfect, but if you looked at something like CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap and you look at the coins that are in like the top 50 or something, uh, top 100, like basically the higher on the list, hopefully uh, the more usability, the more uh, potential is behind the project. Mm-hmm. And there are absolutely exceptions to that, especially with meme coins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so are there enough stable options for long-term passive growth? So I kind of want to shill FlexUSD a little here again (laughs) (laughs) well but on a straight up you know there are the farming there are the mining there's all these ways where you can put money in and make it um and a lot of people don't want to take any risks yes and that is where the passive stablecoin something like FlexUSD that pays you is an easier choice of why are you having your money sit in your bank account making that very small percent fee that your bank is paying you if any which is falling farther and farther behind inflation exactly so try and get ahead of it but we, we had, what, 20 USD sitting on our phone with FlexUSD. Mm-hmm. And it's just seeing those three times a day payments come to your phone. It's just something where it's like you can see your money's making money. Yes. Um, and, you know, okay, it may be a cent or two. It may be 20 cents once. Depends on how many people are using the system itself. But there are safe passive options, as safe as crypto can get, that you can get into and still make money without taking as many risks. Yes, and as safe as crypto can get. So is a huge thing. Is itself. a huge thing. So in theory, tomorrow the United States and a bunch of other countries could t- turn around and ban stable coins. Mm-hmm. So something like FlexUSD would be in hot water then, mm-hmm. as an example. 
uh, USDC, Tether, these other stablecoins would be under the same issues. So it depends on what happens on a more worldwide stage. Yeah. So there's a lot of things to research and keep in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Which is also why not even just crypto, just in general, investment advice has been uh, have a basket of things, have a di- diversified portfolio. And always, you know, keeps an amount of money in your day-to-day bank. You don't throw everything you got unless you're willing to lose it because you could fuck up. Or you just buy at the wrong time. Yep. You could have bought at the top of the 2017 bull run bull run, and been very far down in percentage-wise for years. Yeah. And you might have panic sold and lost a ton of money, or you might have held it, and now you've made money. Which also comes down to investing in cryptos that are worth it. Mm-hmm. Long-term use case. In other words, lots of research. Lots of research. Patterns. Most market develop patterns over time. What influences and shapes crypto? I see a lot of hype train kind of shit, but I would bet there's some underlying fundamentals that influence things. What are they? So number one would be use cases, which... So crypto is still, in my opinion, still young. Yes. So it kind of goes back to Bitcoin versus BCH mm-hmm. as one example. Uh, so Bitcoin was supposed to be peer-to-peer currency. BTC currently isn't that, mm-hmm. I argue, uh, especially in the long you, term. You don't have to argue. It's just a, it's a fact. <laughs> they, they say use your bank card, don't use. You don't use it for cash. That's, that's true. <laughs> it's not an argument. Next. So yeah, especially thinking long term, it's not a currency. Bitcoin Cash is. When you look at the market, though, the market isn't reflecting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the market is in a uh, hype bubble, and it might correct itself over time. As we're seeing with housing in a lot of uh, countries in this world right now, that's a gigantic bubble, and it just gets going and going and going. And so for who how knows? many years have we been saying, when's it going to pop? Yeah. So in the other words, use cases, number one. Number two, Dub's Digital touches on it on his videos. For patterns. So for Dub, it's the four-year cycle. And when you throw the market cap of crypto on some charts, you see that it has seemed to have bull runs every four years Mm -hmm. and then bear markets between them. Part of that might be because of the Bitcoin halving. So a technical level, the amount of Bitcoins that miners make in every block that they earn goes down every four years, which probably does have a lot to do with the four-year cycle mantra. It just makes sense. Yeah. So as the supply starts shrinking, the demand starts going up. And if you add more users getting into the network, that also adds to to the demand. Mm -hmm. So that could also cause the price to increase. Yeah. So so that would be a supply and demand. It basically supply and demand. Different cryptos, different situations, different tokenomics, as they call them, for Mm -hmm. like the amount of coins when they're released, et cetera, et cetera. Um, A lot of things are just generally tied to Bitcoin itself. For now. Yeah. Just, Um, Just because it's number one, it seems to kind of drive the market and... I would argue that's because people are getting into it for the first time, don't necessarily know the economics technical behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially when you're talking about people with large amounts of money, when you're talking like hedge funds and banks and countries, and the incentives of the network, which our past video touches on. So people that are invested into BTC, even if they potentially know about the economics and the technicals behind it, they might still push BTC as what you should get just because they are in it mm-hmm. even though better options exist yeah and that's the pyramid scheme style yes in the end everybody has a different view of what a pattern is is crypto and what makes it go up some may have value some may not overall though to come and sum down 
as long as crypto stays around, it's going to keep going up because as more people get in, more money goes gets in, which means things go up. And there are tokens that have a never-ending token, yada, yada, yada. So they're inflationary versus deflationary. Mm-hmm. Do your own research. Look into the token. Read about it. Understand it. Yes. I'll, I'll echo that as well, though. Crypto is going to keep going up. Whether it's the one you're in or not, don't know. <laughs> but Pandora's box was opened. It's not going away. No. Hasn't gone away for 10, 11 years now. It's sticking around. It's going to transform countries. It's going to transform the world. We're going to Mars, so why are we using currency cash in our pockets and bank accounts? It doesn't yeah. make sense. <laughs> They're not going to ship pallets of US dollars to Mars. No. It is not going to happen. <laughs> so therefore, crypto, yes, go up. Yes. Moon. All right. You ready for a bit of a wild one? Okay. You might have to think on this one for a second. Break my brain. Yeah. So if you had to explain crypto and had to compose some steps and a checklist to teach a completely uninformed being about crypto, what are they? So if you're going to teach a completely uninformed being about crypto, I would think the easiest place to start would be the money use case. Mm-hmm. So essentially you're going to explain to this being what is money. And that it own is a complicated subject. That can be yeah, quite complicated and... Uh, I think it would essentially come down to what is money? What is value? In a crypto sense, it would be how is it better than current money and mm-hmm. past monies? And that would roughly break down to crypto is a worldwide network. Yeah. World, You can send it anywhere you want. Worldwide currency. Worldwide currency. That you own. That you own that is backed by a worldwide distributed network that can't be taken over easily, mm-hmm. if at all. <laughs> more secure than what we currently have so steps skipping the what is crypto because we kind of already went in that yeah what would be some steps that you would use to teach this person on the money side of it so bitcoin cash is actually really good for this for what people in it do Mm -hmm. at meetups and things like that Uh, they get people just to install the bitcoin.com wallet there's a bunch of others but that's kind of like the go-to and install by install on your phone. Install on your phone, yeah. Uh, there's There are other wall- wallets. There's computer-based ones. Uh, generally, people have their phones on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is basically just get them to use it. Get them to install the app. People generally know how to install an app on their phone. Yeah. Um, and just show them how to use it. Send them some money. Send them some Bitcoin cash, and it'll show up and be like, oh, wow, okay. That was quick. That was quick. And then you have them send it somewhere else. Yeah. And it's kind of, you just ignore the technical side of it. Just get them using it. Mm-hmm. The, the technicals can come later. But, Part- I mean, the technicals don't need to come. And that's what a lot of crypto people say is you need to understand the technicals, and you don't. Because people use Facebook, people use his bank accounts, they log in, they send their money, they do as they're told, and they're happy as can be as long as they can send their money places. Yes. So if you think of crypto as just a money currency, you don't need to understand the technicals, you just need to understand your password and your account. And that's what I mean by technicals, is just the, the password and the backup part. Yeah. Uh, so... Get them to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, show them the backup process and what that means because you're responsible for your money. So that's the big difference between crypto and other money. Yeah. Um, and if you want to go through the full checklist, have them restore their backup mm-hmm. so that they can actually practice doing a restore so that they've done it right. You lose your phone. Well, this is how you get your money back. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you keep going from that, you can have them, since we're showing it anyways, uh, get them some flex USD. Mm-hmm. Have them have it on their phone so, and see the interest that they get from it, from just having it. 
So they're not doing anything getting that, but they're being exposed to the ecosystem of what the trading and stuff that's happening on the CoinFlex company, how they're providing that interest with FlexUSD. Mm-hmm. So that exposes them to holding money, but having it work for them. Uh, if you go a step farther, you can get them into farming, what liquidity uh, pools are and what the farming rewards are. And yeah. basically there's no end to the amount that you can teach people because it doesn't really end. It just keeps yep. growing. It depends. And then you start going away from the money and then you start going into the use cases. Do you need a streaming service? Do you need to store your data? Do you need to buy games? There's It, it doesn't end. And every time you think you've caught up, there's something new. Yes. So to teach somebody, it depends on what you want to teach. And you're going to have to specifically teach the topic they're asking about. But I think the biggest use case is the money. Mm -hmm. Because if it replaces the fiat currencies, that's going to affect everybody's lives. Yeah. Um, But it does depend on what crypto you're talking about. Yeah. So you could pick a totally different crypto and start delving down that with somebody, and it's going to be completely different answers. Yeah. Because we are a bch podcast we'll stick to showing the bch world of it and the best unless part, something really you know the it, ultra thing i like for that, example that's yeah ultras <laughs> but that's not really even about money that's just simply i buy too many games and i don't like these games or i don't play the games and i don't need the games or how many league of legends skins do i have for one character <laughs> and there's a new one out that i want already even though i hardly play <laughs> but no so with bitcoin cash it's fast you can send it to somebody and you're not waiting you know, up to 24 hours for your e-transfer to get there. It's You can stand there, you can see your money got accepted, and you can walk out the grocery store with your food knowing that they have their money. So really the steps to sum all that up would be get them to use it. That teaches it. That's the money side. That's all they need to know. And if they like it, keep going. Get them to ask more questions. Find new things they're interested in. Totally agree. So one thing I would say that beginners should be really understand when they're getting into crypto is the incentive structure of crypto mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that everybody's going to want them to get into their thing mm-hmm. uh, because it's better for them in the end essentially do your due diligence mm-hmm. look into these projects see what they're doing it comes down to do your own research yeah fun things you believe in and even if you don't necessarily believe in it but you think it has potential and if you want to go risky don't do it with money you don't want to lose yes don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Yeah. Basic investing 101. Yeah. Because it applies to crypto just like everything else. All right. So I think that's the end of the questions. Yep. So if anybody else has questions, feel free to pass them along. Uh, but I think for now we are done. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us. See you later. And I am still the better gamer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know you'll cut that, but still. <laughs>